it really just woke me up to like you know realize that like the hope and the change that you want to see is not going to happen unless you become that change and you implement it and you do the work and um so we're intensely focused on like being that change right because it's not going to happen unless somebody takes that step foot forward that was morris kelly founder of equity cannabis business sf roots i'm jeff and this is storied san francisco in this episode, Morris picks up where he left off in part one, with some details about the pot edibles he and a friend made after his time at SF State. He traces the origins of San Francisco Roots, as it was known then, a cultivation and delivery business back in the medicinal marijuana days. Once legalization happened in 2018, SF Roots was born as an equity cannabis brand. Morris explains the city's cannabis equity program for us, which SF Roots is an applicant for. He ends the podcast by sharing how his business has fared during COVID, and then he expresses his thoughts on the future of San Francisco. Here's Morris. So we would make, um, our best one was like a s'mores bar, which was like a graham cracker base. Oh, fuck drizzled uh we held it together with marshmallow um drizzled it or paste it with chocolate then we would put mini marshmallows on top with another drizzle and uh that was like our number one and then um we made a bunch of cookies and those were like our mainstays in the dispensaries but Mm kind of what happened uh during that time was a lot of dispensaries started getting shut down Mm -hmm. um that was when like the feds started it was the feds like started raiding dispensaries all over california because it was still federally illegal and the state wasn't necessarily standing up for it right um so during that time that's kind of when the our edible get business drizzled Mm -hmm. but we would still do like uh delivery we was and then it merged into like a delivery motto to where we would deliver lunch to people and they could get a medicated lunch and nobody mm. would know because it looks like regular food. Right. And go on about their day. So like in that phase, we would do uh, chicken wings. We had a broccoli cheddar bacon soup. And we also did sandwiches with salads with uh, where the aiolis were usually. Aiolis are the salad dressing were usually the carriers. Got it. So that was like my introduction into uh, legal cannabis as to like, wait a second, this is something I could, I could like, you know, wait, I make a product, I take it to the store, I sell it to the store, they sell it, I'm like, this is like, we're in bit I'm, Like everyone wins. Business. Yeah, you know, that <laughs> yeah. was my first little glimpse of outside of just selling my friend's pot. Right. Of the industry that would be now. Right. I have a couple questions. Uh, did y'all grow your own, and about when was this year-wise? Year so the edibles were probably like 2000. So we started, I think, probably around 2004. Okay. 2005. So that's like when we first like made something, took it to the clubs. It was like... You know, they 
they bought it like what yeah. like because <laughs> especially back then like with the edibles you would make a batch of edibles and you would give it to the club and they would give it to the patients mm-hmm. and the patients were the ones who would dictate what they wanted sold at their dispensary so it was like a completely different mindset of like you know now you have like a buyer that has to meet certain quotas that you know it was definitely like you said like the, the brownie movement it was like i come from i come from that era you know what i mean i right. was when i came into the cannabis industry it was about compassion it was about community it was about medicine you wouldn't call yourself having you wouldn't be a cannabis company if you didn't carry some sort of medicinal property, right? Right. Like, especially coming from San Francisco, like, under Dennis Perone, under Brown and Mary, under Sticky Fingers. Like, so those are the people who, like, made it possible for me to even be... Like, once I got my cannabis license and I had to, like, start learning about, like, why I was even... Like, wait a second, this is too good to be true. What's, right. go, what's going on here? But you you're know? on the shoulders of ancestors. And then you realize, yeah. you know all the people that did the work before you and then you realize you know like well i can't just have this business and not provide some sort of relief to the people who this law was intended for right 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 right. so and then like even my first club experiences i like you used to go to the club and like if you didn't have any money and you went to the club you used to be able to get free weed Hmm. it might not have been the best weed it might not have been, <laughs> you know, yeah, but you were able to go and, and, and do that. Yeah. Now that's like kind of, you, well, it's getting better now with compassion programs, but mm-hmm. when legalization first hurt, happened, that was unheard of. Right. Like, I would have to give people compassion out of my own pocket, basically, right? right? We weren't able to do it as a business anymore. So it wasn't that we stopped, we just had to, you know, change. So, but definitely happy to see like the compassion programs being reinstated right. now we have actual option to create product and have a donating option in our mm. track and trace system so we can continue to keep those traditions alive yeah like a legacy i mean uh, it's what it's intended for right do you happen to know when medicinal became legal in california i believe it was 1996 96 okay i would have guessed 98 but um and then uh, recreational was 18? When was that? 2018, yeah. Yeah, so that's like 20-something years mm-hmm. where all this other stuff was going on. And they're like, well. Oh. It was a completely different market. And then yeah. they just, poof, then all of a sudden, overnight, there was a whole bunch of outlaws in the state. There was a whole bunch of black market in the state mm-hmm. when before they were actual businesses. They were traditional farmers. They were parts of their community they were actually staples of the community so it was definitely a, a mind fuck yeah cause like especially so for me I kinda knew it was coming I knew you know I saw the writing on the wall I knew that at that point in time San Francisco Roots was the name of SF Roots and it was uh, a garden that I started with a couple friends so you were growing yeah, got it. We started off as a cultivation. Okay. And, um, but this was under Prop Two Fifteen. So, like I said, I had a delivery service, and um, like my third delivery service, I, you know, got the recipe right. So we were able to really take off and do well. And about a year into that, 
um, I opened up San Francisco Roots as a cultivation to kind of help me supply top shelf medicine to my patients through my delivery. And um, one, like uh, probably about 2017, we dissolved the delivery service. Uh, was going through some internal issues with the partner, so it was just better to dissolve it and everybody go their separate ways. But I still had SF Roots, or San Francisco Roots at the time, which is a cultivation. I knew that I wouldn't be able to cultivate in the new uh, arena because I didn't have that type of capital or funding. And I had no idea how to get a cannabis license. Um, so what I focused on was building a brand, and that's when SF Roots was born. I thought it would be a little bit more transferable, you know, up and down the state. Um, and I focused intensely on building a brand for about two years prior to legalization. And that just involved uh, doing every little small farmer's market, trade show, anywhere that I could sign up, get a table, show off the brand, sell our product, meet the people. And by the time legalization came, I had a distributor that I had built the brand large enough that distributors were interested and I had some of my traditional market cultivators um, coming across the line with me. So mm -hmm. I had a tremendous partner in Redbud Farms that um, was getting licensed and we had already working together on the traditional side. So we were able to come together on the recreational side to ensure that we both survived. Uh, Where are they, Redbud? So Redbud Farms is located out of Covalo. It's in Mendocino. Got it. And that's another probably your next interviewer okay. she's uh she's a little badass she's uh miss betsy brown she's it's a woman that she owns it yeah she's Love it. uh Love it. i want to say second generation san franciscan her okay. son went to like urban pioneers like me so just like another city thing she was uh i believe if not the first one of the first women foreman electric electricians in the mm, city awesome so like she had that incredible battle and that's a you know she's got her grit and i love it and um so yeah we were, were able to work with her and now she's like an instrumental part of the sf roots team right on. and um yeah just another san franciscan you know she's another san francisco equity applicant like myself so um you know it just kind of felt fitting to be SF Roots and Makes have our cultivator be from SF. Yeah. And that's kind of how we launched into the legal side. Can you tell us a little bit about um, what the equity, is it a, pro, is it a program or, or and, and what, what, what is it? So uh, the equity program in San Francisco, so there's equity programs in different cities um, across the United States and the San Francisco Equity Program, I believe, was either the second or the third program developed. And it was uh, built as a way that, um, with the green rush coming in from cannabis, was a way to make sure that people who had already participated in the industry and had been penalized for it um, had a way of participating. It was a way that local people from... Uh, low income or d certain demographics had a chance of participating and it was really our stand and our fight to the city to ensure that you know what tech what what usually happens is 
when industries like this come into play, uh, the black and the black brown people don't have a, a piece of it. Right. And this is one industry that we had been a part of prior to legalization. So we really fought uh, hard in San Francisco to make sure that um, the city recognized this through a couple of friends of mine, um, San Francisco Equity Group. They, uh, they really rallied and put together this tremendous community impactment plan that they presented to the city that, you know, broke down the statistics of what was really going on and how people of color were really impacted in the city by the war on drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, so with is exoneration part of it or, uh, is that separate? I think that's separate. Yeah. That's some like crazy legal shit. Right. What? That's like lawyers yeah. getting involved. I haven't I haven't stepped into that arena yet. Yeah. But I'm still trying to get the business together. Right. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, you concentrate yeah, on the business. Yeah. I'm like, right now my felony's helping me. I'm like, this is yeah. what you need. Thank you. Right. Like so That is a huge thing though going on. It's with legalization. Right. It's, it's tremendous. All like, those folks still in jail. Man, and then so when I decide and also when I decided to like make this big legal push um i had had uh, one of my grow houses raided mm. and by feds um by, again, the, by the city <laughs> and um i had one at my house raided my grow house raided it was it was a few different several warrants so i ended up uh f- i was fighting a case for like the five years that i was building sf roots so like uh when I had the delivery service and, you know, figured out, okay, because I was trying to figure out a way that I could build something that if anything happened to me during this case, that so I'd have something that on the streets that was taking care of me, taking care of my family, the at least getting the bills on. paid. Yeah. Yeah. So um, that really changed my focus into, you know, doing the delivery service, getting it right, building the brand. And once the equity program came out, it actually gave me a true path to attaining a license. So right. then that was just like, oh my goodness. But then now I'm still fighting this case and like I'm literally at the office of cannabis once a week, like just like, hey guys, you know, I just gotta, because I, I had to lay it all out in front of them. Like, I really wanna take this opportunity that you guys are offering, but here's what I'm going through. Right. And here's like, you know, some of the impl- implications that could happen to me. Um, but luckily, you know, I focused intensely on building the business for like that five years while I was fighting the case. And when it came time to sentencing, uh, the judge recognized that, um, you know, that person that came into the courtroom five years earlier, it wasn't that same person who right. was in the courtroom standing before her. Um, and I had, you know, completed every community, pro- anything they asked for me, I did. I went back to school for a little bit. and. You know, just really took the steps that it would take for me to be where kind of I am today and like just taking it seriously and, you know, presented them my business plan. I had a stack of letters from the cannabis community and, you know, it really uh, impacted the the sway of the court because, you know, I, I, 
I kept the court papers because I've never been talked that nice about in the court before. So I'm like, <laughs> right? I'm tugging my attorney's court. Like, Can you get a copy of this? Yeah. Like, and it's literally she's like, you know, against the, you know, against the, you know, against the recommendation of the DA. Like, right. huh? Like, what for me? Like, and um, yeah, you're telling me this, and I'm finding it hard to believe. But yeah. Good for I mean, good for so, her. Good on her, I guess. I yeah. Should say. And, yeah. Um, and good for you. Definitely good for me. Yeah. Um, but you know. It, it, fuck, man. It was like you know, all, I did, I was doing all this in blind faith. Right. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I had you know I didn't have any other option really. You know. Right. So, it was definitely a breath of fresh air and something that like, like it was something I couldn't even talk about to my like employees because who I'd be the crazy guy at that point. Like, well, you're about to go away any day. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I just knew that I always had to, like, put my best foot forward, stay out of trouble, and, you know, just focus on this business. And, um, yeah, so, you know, made it to sentencing, ended up with, I think, 30 days probation. Same thing, the probation officer couldn't believe it. She's like, just, <laughs> how did you do this? Like, this is wrong. I'm like, don't go back to that judge. Don't. This is my deal. Leave right. me the fuck alone. Right, right. Like... <laughs> <laughs> I was. I'll do everything you want for thirty days, but you, you read my paperwork. You got to cut me loose. Mm-hmm. So, was able to make it through that, and um, yeah, and I think that was about maybe two years ago, a year before COVID. Mm-hmm. We, I was able to get that settled with the courts, and you know, now it's just been focusing intensely on building SF roots with my crew. How has COVID impacted y'all? Um, surprisingly, COVID was uh, COVID was really not kind to us. Um, being a small smaller company, when a lot of the large companies had to shut down, it was like the same two people or me, you know, that was able to come in and work. Mm-hmm. We had a super small team, um, so that that was good. Um, we were, you know, I was still making deliveries. We got deemed essential. Oh, nice. So, um, I think for a day I had a heart attack. And, um, after that day, it was like, because I didn't, I didn't know how I was going to pay my bills. I like, if we shut down, like we're literally working to survive kind of thing. And, you know, if we had to shut down for multiple months with no type of relief because we're cannabis, I would have I would have had to give up my lease or hope you know maybe the landlord would have been understanding but that was like a long time talk about blind faith yeah with landlords (laughs) um did y'all do can I ask did y'all do better last year than maybe the year before like did did Um, business go up I wouldn't say we did better okay um so usually when you think of like doing good in a business that's like your numbers going vertical um what we were able to do is like we were kind of able to move horizontally we were able to take advantage of like the big boys not being able to operate mm-hmm. and reach out and to get into some accounts that normally wouldn't deal with us right because they wouldn't have to uh we took the opportunity to really spread out uh we expanded to southern california okay so now we're a statewide brand you can get us from tahoe down to la um, San and Diego. But it's SF represent. It's, it's SF right roots. In, right yeah. in the name. So, you know, we really took that time to, like, focus internally on what we could do on how to, you know, our processes and 
how to manufacture to the best of the of our ability. So we were able to take on manufacturing for a couple other brands. Um, so we were we were able to use it to our advantage. Nice. Can you quickly tell folks how to find SF Roots? Uh, our Instagram is popping, SF Roots CA on Instagram. Um, you can go to our website, uh, www.sfroots.com. Uh, definitely go on there, join our email list. Um, now that things are opening up, it's back to the community time, man. Nice. So like, even when I had a delivery service, one of the things I liked doing was like getting all the members together. So like, one thing that we were starting prior to COVID was like a family bowling night to where, you know, we could have one night where everybody can come out, the kids can come out, the bowling alley knows we're there, so we got a preset arrangement so it's a little bit cheaper on everybody. <laughs> and just like, you know, growing community, um, we did a lot of events with Big Bad Wolf. She's a local chef, and okay. she holds private dinners, and that's like another amazing good food good people you know yeah it's good food and laughter you can't beat that so definitely looking to get him back to like putting a lot putting together some of these events and you know getting back to the street fairs you know we right. got union street fair we got carnival to look forward yeah. to we got a lot of great stuff here morris can i can we end uh, well first of all did i are we leaving anything huge out are we missing um, anything obvious I'd say that, uh, you know, we were able to launch SF Roots as uh, San Francisco's first equity brand. That was very huge. Um, and um, since then, we've joined up with Locals Equity Distro, which is a group of uh, four other San Francisco equity applicants, or three San Francisco equity, one Oakland equity, or Long Beach equity. And... Um, we were able to form this distribution company that's able to incubate and help other equity applicants launch their brands. Right, right um, And, yeah, I guess just look out for us uh, towards the end of this year. That's right. Keep checking in. Awesome. Um, can we end you, for all intents and purposes, you, you're born, you've spent your whole life here, right? Yeah. Uh, can you share your hopes... I guess for San Francisco, let's say the next five years, the next, you know, the, the near future coming out oh, of this COVID. Is easy, man. Okay. Let's hear it. We don't have hopes. Um, one thing that I've been able to identify, especially through like cannabis activism is that like we can ask and we can plead and like, you know, we can chant, we can rally, but like there's a totally different ball game being played in like city hall with lobbyists and like people with money and motives. And, um, it really just woke me up to like, you know, realize that like the hope and the change that you want to see is not going to happen unless you become that change and you implement it and you do the work. And um, so we're intensely focused on like being that change, right? Because it's not going to happen unless somebody takes that step foot forward. So us, it's really in the cannabis community and making sure that we can bring as many black, brown, equity, small businesses mm -hmm. along with us that the traditional people who should be a part of this industry don't lose it, right? And within that, you know, me as an equity applicant, like I've had to 
I've had to fight a lot harder than it should be to be a part of this industry. And going through that, I recognize that there's people who don't even have the experience that I have that are trying to do this. And it's like giving somebody the keys to a Indy 500 race car and telling them to go in the race and they've never seen a car and don't know how to drive. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of like what the equity program is in a way is like, you know, here's this excellent opportunity, but there's no real, there's nothing real behind you to get you there. No tutelage, no nothing. So I'm putting together a lot of programs. Um, You know, I realized that if I, there was like a lot of things that we can do realizing that, you know, this is like the help that people like me need. So we've taken steps with our cultivation partners to uh, get their cultivation facilities to be able to provide us um, fair market rates for equity applicants to be able to build their businesses to have a trustworthy supply of product to know that it's not going to be overcharged we're not going to pull a switcheroo there's like a lot of things that are happening in the industry to equity applicants that like that we're subject to because we have to deal with these people because we can't do it on our own so i really just want to reinforce that pipeline because i know from just my own experience that if you like if you have the same shot as somebody who has a hundred million dollars, like, you know, you're going to, there's hustlers, there's people who really have this in their blood who, you know, who really need it for their families to survive. So by giving those people a shot in the city and building the pathway for generational wealth for people of color and part of these uh, districts and demographics of the city that have been forgot about, um, I think that, you know, if, for instance, even with my facility, if I'm able to hire four people and give them a little bit more than a comfortable wage, then that kind of relieves the stress on them a little bit, right? They're able to go back to their home situation a little bit more relieved, you know? It, 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 you know, you realize that it really can change the psychic of a generation, right? It can change. Now, if, you know, this is just me right now with four employees that I'm planning on hiring. But if I, you know, we have plans to open up a much larger facility in the city. In the city, And I've already had talks with City Hall about this is the type of help that I need. And this is what I'm going to need from you. And, you know, this is what we need to implement to say, now we can offer 20 jobs to people in the Bayview and help 20 families have a secure path line, you know, to generational wealth and really know that, yeah, you can come to work every day. You can learn, you can grow, you can, you can, you can literally grow in the company and not stop and bring your son in if you want to. But really just like re, reintroduce that standard of living that should be standard to everybody. Would you say you feel good about San Francisco? I think that there are a lot of good people in San Francisco that are doing a lot of good work. And that's what I feel good about. That was Morris Kelly. On the next episode of Storied San Francisco, we'll get to know Matt Liam, owner of Roma's Ristorante Italiano. Music for the podcast was produced, performed, and curated by Otis McDonald. Original photography is by Michelle Kilfeather. Aaron Lim of Bitch Talk Podcast is our contributing producer. 
The show is produced and hosted by me, Jeff Hunt. Now in our fourth season, we have nearly 150 episodes available on our website, storiedsf.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you can, subscribe, rate, and review our show so that we can reach even more folks. And if you'd like to drop us an old-fashioned email, we'd love it. The address is storiedsf at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, stay strong, stay healthy, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is a proud member of the BFF.FM podcast network. Learn more at podcasts.bff.fm. BFF.FM, best frequencies forever.